You're listening to Finding Your Genius Zone with Dirk Novell. With the help of successful individuals across industries, Dirk breaks down the unknown parts of every vocation while highlighting the importance of finding a career where you can leverage your natural skills, passions, and interests. Now here's your host, Dirk Novell. Everybody, hi, this is Dirk Novell. Welcome to my podcast. On with me today is a friend of mine, Michael Mercer. Welcome, Michael. Hey, Dirk, good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, Michael has been kind enough to uh, come on on a Saturday during his weekend. So especially with a two and a half year old. So, you know, Michael's a guy that just a little backdrop. I got to know Michael years ago. We had some mutual friends and I'd always heard about Michael and he was in my industry. And when I met him, he's just one of those cool dudes like you know, like I want to hang out with that guy. I want to get to know him a little better. And, uh, you know, he was very successful in my line of work, which is the mortgage industry. And then one of the things I really loved, he was just brave enough to kind of do a 180 into a totally different industry, which I'll call cannabis. And he's had a lot of experience in that. So this is my first guest in that industry. And so I'm super excited. So Michael, I guess in your own words, um, if somebody, you know, sit down at a bar or a restaurant and you meet a stranger and they ask you what you do, how would you reply? That's a great, it's a great question. And obviously comes up, you know, quite a bit. Um, and it's kind of a tough one to, to, um, to answer, to be honest with you, because, um, you know, I, I typically would throw it back with, with a question like, what do you know about cannabis? Right. Um, Cause I kind of got to start at, I got to know which, where am I entering this conversation at what level, how much do I need to, you know, backdrop do I need to provide <laughs> what it is I do. Um, but so I kind of just start with that. What do you know about it? And, you know, most people kind of, ah, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I used it in college or high school and here and now, and, you know, it seems now more than ever, um, probably because of the, the legalization and the, you know, the decriminalization of it and just the whole, um, you know, thought process and concept and, and idea around it, the, um, the stereotypes, most, a lot of that has gone away now. Right. Um, and it seems like almost anybody in their, you know, in their past, their forties and such have, uh, have kind of come back to cannabis in one way or another. And, um, mostly not to, um, maybe not necessarily from a recreational reason, which I'm sure there's obviously that as well, but really like just pain and, and sleep, and anxiety and stress seem to be like the biggest drivers of, of, of that product in that market um, for especially people, you know, 40 and over, but, um, but, you know, obviously, you know, younger people have stress and anxiety and, and pain too, but um, that's kind of what we, what, you know, what the market is kind of leaning towards. So I, I kind of start with, you know, what do you know about the business? What do you know about the, 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 the product or, you know, are you a consumer? And then based on kind of what they what they reply with, I kind of then know where to enter or respond to that to that question. So, yeah, um, I mean, a lot of stereotypes, I am assuming, like people with strong opinions, maybe not with a lot of it, credibility or knowledge. But, you know, you grow up thinking cannabis is not legal and not good. And then you say you're in the industry and it's really changed, though. I mean, it's an industry full of very successful, intelligent people. Um, yeah. you, you've been in it for what, nine years, 10 years. Uh, what is the math? So I got in and, um, I started getting uh, into it in like 2015. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of when, when we started looking into it and then launched or officially launched in the market in, in, um, in, in uh, June of 2016. So was that soul shine? That was soul shine. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So just curious before we get deep on kind of the life in the business and what you do, you were in the mortgage industry for whatever reason. I think you might have sold sold your company to Cobalt or Caliber or whatever. Yeah. You had options. I know you used to put on, is it concerts or at parties? Didn't you do that as well? I, I did. So I got I got into the mortgage industry in um in I think 1996 or 1997. Okay. And then was in that um until about 2014 is when is when our company sold. Um and I had had a a smaller mortgage company, maybe like 15 people, 15 employees, and and then had merged with a much larger company, Homestone, which became Cobalt, which then sold to Caliber, which is when I exited. Um, but uh, prior to that, yeah, so I think in in my uh, from the 21, so like 1992, uh, when I turned 21, I, I started getting into um, 
nightclubs, uh, entertainments and events and stuff like that, just by a rant, a complete fluke. Like I had no, no idea what I was, didn't have an idea that I was going to ever even do that. Was in college at the time. Um, didn't really know what I wanted to do in college when I got out of college. And this kind of, it's one of those kind of like just divine opportunities just kind of fell in my lap that I, I just didn't really have any idea it was coming. Um, and then kind of rode, rode the way with that for quite a long time. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, you're a very, I mean, well-connected, very likable, very social. I mean, you know a lot of people. I mean, when I first met you, I think we sat down and played the name game for a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. And so then you fell into lending, which is obviously a, a business that does well when you know people and they like you. So when you came out of mortgages, um, why, why the cannabis? Was it a matter of that you were just drawn to it or a new industry and you thought this is a way to expedite success? Like what was the reason you jumped into that business? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You know, if you, if for me personally, if I go back and I look at, um, you know, the last 30 something years, like the biggest opportunities seem to always come like out of left field, like you're not even expecting it. And when I was, when I was at the end of my mortgage career, um, because I just had decided that I had enough and I was just absolutely miserable. Um, and our company was getting ready to be bought out. Um, so I knew that that was probably good timing for me to try to maybe look for something. I had a, you know, a sliver of equity in the company. So I knew I might be okay to, you know, take off and gamble at something, at something new for a while and, and still be okay. Um, I didn't really have any idea what I was going to do. And as you can appreciate, it's tough to leave an industry that, it, you know, you have that, that freedom and control of your schedule and kind of a, an untapped, you know, uh, ceiling as far as how much money you can make, you know, you can really, it's really just all on you. Right. Yeah. And hundred percent commission, um, I've lived that life as far as I can remember. I don't think I've ever even filled out a resume my entire life. Um, I don't think I don't even know how to do one today. I, I just have always been sales. I've always been hundred percent commission. I've never got a paycheck, you know, every other week. I don't even know what it's like to get a paycheck. It's always been commission, right? And that's just how I've always lived. Um, but uh, a guy that I used to work with in mortgage who had left before I did, um, I had, um, this was in the summer of 2014, I had thrown uh, an event, um, a big event in Seattle. Um, it's called Steve Air Ball. And it was kind of a black tie fundraiser event. About 800 people showed up and he, he showed up to that event. And after the event, he had called me and said, hey, man, good running into you. I haven't seen you for a long time. What do you, you know, I heard the mortgage company is selling. What are you going to do? I said, I have no idea. He said, um, hey, I got, come, let's meet up. I got something to show you. So he he drove me around to a bunch of his um, grow houses that he had. You know, these are like, you know, million dollar homes all over the east side that he, you know, with three car garages that he was running grow operations in these in these houses. And he goes, you know, it's legal. It's legal now in Washington. And I want to get out of the, you know, get out of the medical market. And I want to get into the, you know, the legal recreational market. And he goes, would you like to help? And I was like, I, I don't know anything about weed or cannabis. I mean, I, yeah, I participated in high school and college like everybody else. But other than that, I didn't know much about it. So um, he just said he wanted to set up a, a, you know, get a license and set up a grow operation. And um, he was interested if I'd be, you know, wanted to help out with sales and marketing, which of course was like right in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Um, so I said, sure. So yeah, long story short, we basically, I helped raise the money. Um, I think we raised just under, you know, 2 million, um, found a 50,000 square foot warehouse and started, you know, he focused on the growth side of the business. I started on the, uh, focused on the marketing and sales. And, um, ironically enough, enough, um, a lot of the people that owned the stores, the retail stores that we were going to be calling on to try to sell our product into were people that I knew, you know, from back in the day, from either in college or um, from the nightclub industry, a lot of those people that I knew back then had gone into cannabis and opened up. So it was very natural and 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 fun um, for me to get into that industry, even though I technically didn't know anything about it. I knew sales, I knew marketing, I knew people, you know, I know how to, knew how to pick up a phone, return a call, you know, be, you know, follow through with stuff. I just took the same work ethic I've always had and applied it to, to, to cannabis and um, kind of stuck out like a sore thumb because, you know, our competition was a lot of people who just didn't necessarily come from, you know, sales and marketing backgrounds. So. Yeah, for sure. I see a lot of like the uh, old guard being like, Whoa, these guys are 
super motive. I mean, these guys are dialed in. I, I could see the success that you might have getting into an industry like that based off your background. So kind of understanding, like if someone's listening and they're say, you know, coming out of school, high school, college, and they're interested, what, you know, so correct me if I'm wrong, I'm just going to come at it from a very elementary level because sure. I don't know the business, but you know, you have, say you work for a company that has a product and let's just say you're the guy getting it in to the retail shops. So yep. you're going in, talking about your product. Um, is that hard to do? I mean, is there only so much inventory that these shops have or space on the shelves for product? Like, what is the secret if you want to go down that road to get it into these different places? Like, what do you need to do to be successful there? Yeah, it's um, it's it's really tough. I'll be honest. And I, um, you know, I was fortunate. And again, this is going back to 2016. Um, so the industry was brand new here in Washington um, versus like today in 2023, when a lot of things are getting flushed out. But, you know, it, it, it's really difficult because obviously cannabis is still federally illegal. Right. Um, so it's a state by state thing. And each state makes up their own rules on how they want to do stuff, which makes it really complicated and challenging, which is partly why I got out of what I was doing and into what I'm doing now. I'll kind of go into that. But um it, uh, you know, I think there was around 12 or 1300 grow licenses that the state had issued. Okay. Um, they only issued 300 retail stores license. So you can imagine you had, and the reason why they did that is they did it on purpose to drive down the price of, of, of the product, um, to try to get rid of the black market, you know, in the state where you'd be like, well, it costs just as much to go to the store to buy a gram of weed as it does to get it from my buddy, you know, in the park or whatever. Right. So that's, so I, you know, I, so that part of it kind of made sense, but it became um, kind of a race to the end. Right. Because when you got, you know, 12, 1300 companies competing for just 300 stores, you know, all the power came to the retail stores, right. To kind of pick and choose which growers they want to do where other States it's completely backwards. You know, you might have only 15 to 20 licenses issued in the whole state for grow and you might have two, 300 stores. Right. So it, um, it kind of flip flop, but anyways, what, that's what Washington was. So yeah, it was definitely challenging. Um, and you, and, and for us, our product was more of a premium product. So it was priced higher, um, which makes it harder to kind of get into the stores because they all want to buy it at a cheaper amount, but you kind of got to stick to your guns. So, but knowing people, you know, having those relationships and then just being good and passionate about what you're doing um, carries a lot of weight. And I think for us, we were really successful in the beginning because we identified, you know, our brand, like what made our brand different. So for us, we were the first company to go with, you know, recyclable, reusable um, uh, packaging, right? So nothing was, you know, nothing was plastic, nothing was mylar. And then um, I had an idea about... Um, uh, connecting up with an animal shelter because I, I just knew statistically that one out of every two people going into a retail store wasn't owned a dog or cat. That's just, I just know, knew the statistics, you know, the, the, um, the stats on that. So I was like, mm -hmm. how cool would it be to team up with an animal shelter and donate a portion of, you know, everything that we make to an animal shelter. Um, so that was the second thing that we did. So we focused on our packaging. Then we identified, you know, um, uh, this relationship with an animal shelter, a nonprofit that we were donating money to. And then, um, and then there was a couple other things that we, that we did that just kind of made us, um, you know, unique. We were really big on um, giving tours of our facility to show that how we were growing organic and all the things that we did to conserve water and electricity and all the things that are, you know, so we, we kind of niched ourselves um, yeah. in, in the, in the kind of a busy, noisy space. And people kind of were like, oh, that's the, those are the packaging guys or those are the animal guys, you know, those are the animal guys and everything kind of our messaging and marketing kind of fine tune that. And we built a very you know successful brand by doing that. I love that. Um, a couple of questions are coming up. One is I'm just, this is kind of a random one, but you were in the lending world trying to close loans, purchases, refinances, construction, mm -hmm. what have you. So do you remember the difference, the feeling you had, like, in your energy, your heart, your excitement, like absolutely, yeah, can, absolutely. Can, can you speak to the difference between and the obviously, you know, I'm not where I'm going on this is what I really want people to do is pay attention to Michael's. Like, I love his story about doing something that 
you know, the zone of genius is when you are in your flow, like you are leveraging the gifts that God gave you or spirit or whatever you want to say, the things you are born in in this world. And I see people like Michael and others that are leveraging their passion, their skills, what's innate. And, and I call that zone of genius when you're, it's just too, it's too natural, but there's also zone of excellence, which is you might be damn good at closing mortgages, but it doesn't give you that same energy, that same love. Um, Talk to the audience a little bit about getting into something maybe that you had a little more passion and how that maybe made you a better person, made you more, uh, you know, people that are around you, maybe they saw a better version of Michael. Uh, It it definitely made a difference, didn't it? It it did. It did. And, um, you know, I, you know, I learned a lot from, um, you know, my, my whole journey of, of, I guess, of of business and career and entrepreneurship later on and all all that stuff really came, I think, from my early twenties. Right. And, getting thrown into a, um, uh, a business of having to be able to work with a lot of people, knowing how to collaborate, knowing how to create excitement, knowing how to take care of people, making people feel special. You know, those basic things are what I think made me very successful in the, in the nightclub business for sure. Um, kind of building that reputation and building that, um, excitement about something. Um, and I thrived off it. I mean, I, I really did. I thrived off watching other people be super excited about, you know, their energy. I fed off kind of their energy. Right. But in, when I got in the um, mortgage industry, I got in, in the late nineties. And, um, back then we did a lot of like creative financing. That's what I learned. I, you know, I learned, um, you know, uh, I don't know if your listeners will know the terminology, but I know you do. I did subprime, right. I wasn't yeah. selling a paper. I was doing subprime and, um, so we were really doing a lot of fun stuff and it was just fun and exciting back then. And, and, you know, as the industry and back then I was the only guy that I knew doing mortgage. And, and then as we got into the kind of like the early two thousands and such more and more people I knew started getting into it. And I remember kind of a, thinking to myself, God, it's like, it's just be really becoming commoditized and, and it's just a fight for, you know, who, will you know, you know, um, do as much work for at least amount of money. And it just became, it just flip flop. The industry just wasn't fun for me anymore. And I felt like all that, that, um, creativity and being able to put deals together that with the ways that we used to, you know, structure deals, it, all that kind of got lost. Um, and then uh, of course, after, you know, the crash in 2007, 2008, you know, it just, it just became no longer, it was all about just making money. It was something that, that I could do. I had been doing it for so long. Um, it was easy, uh, although it wasn't always easy. Um, but it was, you know, it was, it was still challenging. So I liked that part of it, but it just, I didn't have a soul to it anymore. You know, I didn't have that, that underlying passion. And, and I remember thinking to myself, literally one day, I, I was so frustrated and I was so like, just like depressed about it. I remember like kind of, was, I was laughing, of course, because my, you know, my office was only on the third floor. Of a, of a four-story building but i was like i literally wanted to jump out the window and but i was like you know i'm just gonna break my leg if i do that so it's, but i was just i had enough and yeah. i think to, just on what you just said the you do something long enough where your soul isn't in it and it's going to catch up to you and and it and it really did and and you know thank god that um the timing of that and another opportunity was sitting there but i think if i hadn't gotten to that point where i was like i'm done i i I'm surrendering. I don't know what I'm going to go do. I don't have a plan, but I know it's not this. Finally, you know, created an opportunity for something else to, you know, come in and show its show its face to me. So I'm I'm a big believer of of kind of just listening to your gut. Yeah. And and again, I know like if you're younger and you're listening to Michael and you're like think about it, the thing that you don't really get is you get like, you know, Michael just two and a half years ago had his first child. And he's close to my age and in his fifties, like when you get locked into a career or a lifestyle or a family or whatever, it's hard. I mean, that's what I love about what he did. He was brave enough and he did a 180 and he was in a position in life that he was able to do that. But keep in mind, like, this is why it's so important to take inventory of what you are damn good at and what you love, what lights your fire, because, you know, you can make money all kinds of ways. But at the end of the day, if you're running a race, you don't want to win. It's exhausting. 
Um, so let's get back to the cannabis mm -hmm. business. Um, you so for the audience. So when you're talking about these licenses, correct me if I'm wrong, but you had two kinds of shops. You had shops that were just specifically for medical, and then you had retail. Is that how you phrase it, or do I have the verbiage the wrong way? Yeah, no, I think uh, yeah. Once it, once it became recreational, recreational illegal in Washington State, then medical and recreational kind of combined together. Got it. Whereas whereas before it was um, Washington was um, legal for medical, so you had to go in and show a medical card and that kind of thing. That that had been around for a while, um, but from a recreational standpoint, it, it it wasn't. So once it became recreational, medical and recreational kind of blended together. Okay. So, so a retail license, if you had a retail license, you had a retail license. Um, okay. Some stores still, you know, advertise that they, you know, for true medical patients that came in or this or that, they might give them a special discount. But at the end of the day, it was the same, same store, same license. Okay, cool. So yeah. I was talking to you before we started recording is like, not everybody's like you, not everybody's like, got the social gifts, the communication can read a room that loves to you know, the energy providing an experience, but some people still might want to get into the cannabis business. Can you speak to the different flavors or opportunities that one could have in this? You know, I mean, you could be a grower and you can just focus on growing a very, um, uh, I don't know how you would say it, a very successful product. You could be in sales and marketing. I mean, what are the options for people that want to get into the cannabis industry? I mean, almost anything you can think of. I mean, the business, the business is so huge now. Um, I, I think if you, anybody with a particular skill set um, or a passion towards something could probably find um, a vertical a space within the cannabis industry, if that's what they wanted to do. Um, we, we had, um, you talked about maybe people that were more introverts or, or less social. <laughs> um, we, we had a, you know, we had a, um, uh, a staff of maybe like 30 people at one time, 35 at Soul Shine. And there was people that would just sit there in the back room and just, you know, you know, uh, trim, you know, trimmers that would trim the bud and packagers that would package and with their headphones on and just be in their own world um, to people that, you know, were helped out with sales and marketing, helped out with graphic arts, to website people, to um, packaging, to sales and, and, and you know, just almost you take any other industry and cannabis was really no different. Okay. Um, so it almost welcomes, you know, anybody that um, has a particular um, personality trait or, or skill set. There's, there's something within, within that. If you like retail, you can go work at a retail store and, you know, they call them bud tenders, right? Those are the people behind the, the counter that are, are selling you the, the product that are very knowledgeable. So it opened up a whole gateway for people who really were passionate about cannabis that, knew everything about it to give them an opportunity to like talk to people and talk to stores because, you know, to this day, there's still a ton of people that go into a cannabis store and they're uneducated. They don't, they don't really know, you know, they have an issue, maybe it's sleep or pain or, or anxiety or, or um, whatever it is, depression or, and, but they don't really know, like, I mean, they know how they used to consume it maybe 20, 30 years ago, but today with so much new products being on the market, they don't know what to ask for. Yeah. Um, so going into a store and then connecting with people who are really passionate and giving them uh, a chance to talk about it. So I really think there's, there's the, the opportunities are, are, are endless. It, it is different though, because in each state it's different. It's still kind of a cowboy country. Um, you know, so, you know, what you can do in certain states, um, is, is completely different in other states. So, you know, it changes from state to state and, um, to this day, right? Every year there's new states that are coming on legalized. I think I've lost count now how many states are legalized. I think it's two thirds of the country is legalized now for, for medical and, and or rec, you know, recreational. So, mm -hmm. um, uh, but yeah, there's a ton of opportunities for sure. So let's walk, uh, you know, you were at Soulshine, you were in sales and marketing. I don't know if you wore other hats, but then you eventually created your own business, your own company. Yeah. Uh, can you speak to kind of what was the uh, catalyst for that? Talk to us a little bit about yeah. your, your company, why you started it, you know, does your, you know, do your responsibilities change drastically from working as a W2 or maybe a part now, I mean, now you're the guy, right? So you have to do everything from A to Z. So talk to us a little bit about, uh, is, is it Nava or Nava pouch? Yeah. Nava, Nava. That's right. Yep. All right. So, yeah. So that again, 
uh, as I touched on earlier, like opportunities kind of dropping in your lap when you don't expect them. Um, uh, I, one of the things I had mentioned was that we, we used to love to give a lot. I used to love to give a lot of tours um, of our facility. So that, that meant for like people that were coming in from out of town or out of country. Um, I got a call from a guy um, who we had mutual friends and he said, Hey, these guys uh, from Europe are coming in. They're looking at a couple of different, you know, companies in, in Washington to maybe collaborate with on a project, um, you know, would you be open to talking to them? So I was like, of course, you know, I, I'll talk to anybody. I'll show anybody our, our place. So these guys had come in and they were um, all from uh, big tobacco. That's what was their industry that they had come from. And we were touring around and I was showing them everything. And, um, you know, towards the end of the conversation, they were like, um, do you, do you know what a, a dryer, a dryer vaporizer is? And, um, I, I had actually, uh, recently, um, and for me, when I got back into the cannabis industry, um, I kind of had to consume, <laughs> I had to like, I had to know what I was selling and I had to, you know, I, we had, uh, you know, a whole, um, uh, you know, basically any kind of product I could think of was, was available to me. So, and I kind of had to familiarize myself with it. So I kind of knew what I was talking about. So I found myself getting back into cannabis, but I, um, you know, at the time, I think I was in my early forties and I wasn't a big fan of, of the delivery methods, like smoking a joint or using a, a, a pipe or a bong. And I just, it wasn't really my, you know, it wasn't my thing. And, um, I, I, there was like new products coming on the market, like oil pens, which I think were at the time were only maybe like five or 8% of the market. They were very, now they're about 25% of the entire market, almost maybe 30% of the market, um, you know, that were more discreet. And I remember when I would, would smoke a joint, you know, my, um, my wife, now the girlfriend at the time, she'd just be like, God, that's so the stigma, you know, like, I, that's just gross. You know, you stink, you smell and, uh, you know, and, and I just, it didn't, cause I was a pretty healthy guy and you know, like running and, you know, taking care of myself and, and that stigma just didn't suit with me either. So a friend had, had turned me on to this thing called a dryer vaporizer. And what it is, is it's a heating device that you basically take cannabis, the cannabis plant, you put it inside the oven and it heats it instead of burning it. So it's a much healthier, cleaner way to consume, you know, the plant. And I had bought this device. It was like 200 bucks and I used it a couple of times and I was super excited about it. Um, but they were kind of inconvenient to use, um, because you kind of got to grind the weed, you got to pull it in the oven. And when you're done, you got to clean it out. And it was kind of like making coffee in the old days. Right. Uh, so I just went back to smoking joints. Well, fast forward, literally maybe like a month later, these guys from Europe come in and they're like, um, do you know what a dryer vaporizer is? And I said, yes, actually I do. I've been, you know, I've been playing around with one for like the last month and they, and they threw down this little pouch that looked like a skull bandit. You know, like the school band, like tobacco pouches that, you know, a bunch of me and guys used to maybe sometimes chew in college. Right. And yeah, same idea as a tobacco pouch you put it in your mouth and it creates less mess because you don't have the loose tobacco in your mouth. And they, you know, they shoved this thing in this device and they said, we have this idea to do maybe these pouches. Um, and I fell out of my chair. Like I immediately like the light bulb went on so quickly and so fast. I was like. I know what you're, I know what that solves for. Uh, Cause it's like a keg cup, you know, and it's just, it's clean, it's fast, it's easy. So I kind of, we went to work on working on this project together. And this is while I was at, um, at Soulshine. And the whole idea was they were going to raise a bunch of money and they were going to get this big machine and then we we're going to make pouches and we we're going to sell them in the stores. And I went, I kind of spearheaded this whole project with these guys. Um, and at the time we were just making pouches by hand. And then I would get them into a store and I would go demo and we were trying to test the product to see what the customer, you know, is this product valid? You know, is, do people, is this something that people want? So I spent quite a bit of time doing that um, with these guys. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, they, um, they just didn't move that fast. And they, at the time, they never got their funding. Um, and I, at the time, came up with an idea of maybe doing a do-it-yourself kit where there was no product in it and just get that to market and let people make their own pouches and kind of build it that way. And they, they kind of laughed it off and, and um, didn't want anything to do with it. And we kind of parted ways, nothing ever really came of it. So at that point I saw the writing on the wall, like I was so passionate about taking this product and delivering that, you know, to, to people who maybe were in the same boat as I was, was trying to look for a more cleaner, healthier way to consume the plant. Um, 
that I just I went and started my own started my own company and I, I sold my shares in um, in Soulshine and 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 got out of there. And you know the other thing that I saw real quickly the writing on the wall, um, which I'd encourage other other people to think about, is that you know for me I've always wanted to build something that I can sell anywhere and build a brand for it. And when you're when you're in this uh, a state that can find you to only sell only buy and sell within that state, you know, in, in Washington State we can't sell cannabis anywhere outside of Washington, right? It's only in Washington. Well, it's kind of hard to build a brand when you're stuck to like what name one other brand that exists today that it's only allowed to be sold in one state uh, at a time it just doesn't exist, right? It just right. from a business standpoint doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So um, I kind of saw like, eh, I don't, I don't want to put a whole lot of time and energy into something that can quickly become commoditized. And my only audience is Washington state. I, I want to, I'd rather build something that I can take national. Right. So that's kind of where I really started driving towards building Nava. And um, I wanted to get out of soul shine and, and, uh, and, and I did, and that's what I did. And that was so, uh, 2018. Just so we're following you, the audience. Um, so the actual device that you use to smoke. So were you just focused on that or were you actually producing the, 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 the pouch, the pouch? Yeah. As well? Great. Yeah. Great question. No, I didn't, I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to focus. I didn't want to be in the device business. There's, there's too many, there was too many devices and too many yep. manufacturers out there. For me, it was more about creating a product that was universal that could be, that could be used in any device or let's yep. say, you know, 90% of them that are in the marketplace. Um, and that, that was always my, my goal. Um, of course we had to like work with devices in, in the beginning, um, and, and manufacturers to try to connect those two dots because you can't use the pouch without a device. Right. But, um, I never wanted to be in the, um, you know, like the, you know, it's, it's the, it's the razor and the shaver, right. You know, I wanted to sell razor or the, the blades and I don't really care about the, which razors they fit. Yeah. The handles. So yeah. is, is, so the pouch, has that become a competitive industry or is that, are you the only dude in the pouch business? Like, I, talk, yeah. Yeah. Um, competitive in this. No, I wouldn't say it's competitive. Um, I would say it's, it's been by far the hardest thing I've ever done in my life <laughs> for sure. <laughs> because if you take, if you take all the things you know, if I was sitting down with like a, um, with like an Alex Hermosi, right. And I was about to tell him my plan of what he'd be, he'd be go, dude, are you, are you, are you insane? Like, this doesn't make any sense. What do you mean? Who's Alex? Can't... Sorry. I'm a dummy. Who's that? Oh, Alex Hermosi is, um, yeah, you gotta look him up. He's a, okay. he's a huge, massive, uh, YouTuber entrepreneur. Okay. Um, done a bunch of written a bunch of books. The first book I ever read that he wrote was called a hundred million dollar offers. You got to check it out. It's, it's, okay. it's, it's insane. But um, anyway, so it's just, if you kind of look at like, what's a good idea, like, is this product a valid product? Who's your audience? What's your channel and, and how you're going to go to sell it to them? Um, all these things would be like, uh, this is a massive red flag. Don't, maybe you shouldn't do this, but I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know. Like I didn't know that stuff until later on. Mm -hmm. And then looking, and then by that time I was too far down into this, into this rabbit hole with trying to make this thing work. Um, it's been super, super challenging. No, I, I don't think there's many, anybody else doing pouches. There's people doing CBD pouches for your mouth, you know, very similar to the tobacco pouch and stuff like that. But um, as far as doing the pouches for the devices, um, nobody else is doing it as far as I know. And as far as the European guys, I, I, I heard that they were doing trying to do something with, with hemp and stuff like that, but I, I haven't talked with them. So I have no idea. I hope they are because, you know, for yeah. the product to become more successful, I think more people um, need to, the more people that get involved in creating it, then the faster it, 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 it goes. Um, and yeah. So, so the pouch, so does that mean that you, do you have different varieties of strains that go in the pouch? Like, or is there the pouch comes with one kind? I mean, are there flavors of the pouch? Yeah, I think, yeah, yes. So when we, um, we had got, we did a test market here in, in Seattle, um, about two months ago. And again, we were just um, kind of making these pouches by hand. I mean, I have machines that make like these pouches, like at 60, 70 pouches a minute, but they're set up to run like mass high volumes of, of like one particular type of strain or product. Um, and for the beginning stages, we're not, that, that's just too much product, right? So it almost made more sense just to kind of make them by hand. But um, the idea is that you go into a, a retail store and 
just like there are with pre-rolls or joints, you got this variety of different types of strains and, and different types of uh, terps, terpenes, and, and maybe the percentages or maybe some of the joints are stronger than others. Same thing with the pouch. It's the mm -hmm. literally the pouch is literally just a delivery method. What goes inside it is still just regular cannabis. So, you know, in thinking like somebody goes into a store and they're like, hey, I'm looking at a pouch. They see this, you know, little area over here to the side and there's all different types of variety of pouches. Um, okay. And, and to really make the product success successful, that's what needs to happen because it was just a limited amount. Just like if you think about the K-Cup and the K-Cup from Keurig came out, um, their, their uh, strategy in marketplace was to team up with the biggest, you know, companies like Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts mm -hmm. and Seattle's Best. So if you thought that a K-Cup might be your new delivery method of drinking coffee, there was enough of a variety there for you to like go, you know, I'm not a big Starbucks fan, but I like Dunkin' Donuts. So there's, I'm going to grab it and try it. And that's kind of the idea that we needed to do as well. I love it real quick. What is Nava stand? What's what is it an acronym or what does it stand for? Yeah. I, I, I put it together to just shortly stand for natural vaporization. Okay. And right Yeah. Okay. Um, and I, and that, you know, when I want it to be very different because when people hear vape or vaporizers, I think there's a lot of, um, um, uh, kind of scrutiny around that because of some of the past health issues and things that have happened. And there's a big difference between an oil vaporizer and a dryer vaporizer, right? Uh, I mean, a vaporizer is a vaporizer. A vaporizer is just a, a device that heats something, mm -hmm. but an oil vaporizer is heating oil, right? So it's, it's got chemicals and, you know, other stuff in it that we found out that maybe weren't, wasn't so good for people's lungs. And, and I just was never a big fan of that. Um, okay. I did try it. Uh, the oil vaporizers because I thought that they were convenient and clean, like and healthier than smoking, which is I think a lot of people did. But um, the oil for me was just too harsh, and again, I didn't like the idea of inhaling chemicals into my lungs. So I was always a big believer of just uh, heating the plant, the natural plant. So Nava to me was a way of kind of segueing and saying separating it, being, you know, standing for natural vaporization. I love it. Um... Okay. So someone's listening and they're like, either like, hmm, maybe this isn't for me or this is cool. I, you know, wisdom is always something like, you know, you, you may, you said something about four minutes ago about you, you were so deep down the rabbit hole. You didn't know what you didn't know. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's fun. That's really interesting because sometimes like you get so stuck on fear and in your head that you just don't take action. And in your case, you were already deep committed all in taking action, yeah. which which is great. So you are, you've, you've already been in the, you know, you've learned a lot. You've been with a grower. You started your own company. You're a smart guy. You probably had a pretty good idea what you're getting yourself into. But I guess my question is what didn't you see coming? Uh, meaning like, yeah. what was like the, Whoa, man, if I knew this good and bad. And the reason <laughs> I want you to share that is, you know, I mean, no business is perfect, but I think the wisdom that you can share with somebody that's like really considering this endeavor would be very helpful. And again, I, I, you're not being negative, but like, what is it about the business you don't like? Well, um, I felt like how I felt since 2018 has been, um, uh, I said it was the hardest thing I've ever done. And, and, I, and I, and I truly mean that, um, and if, like a lot of people, I think that in business or start, that start companies or products that they're honest with themselves, they're like, if I known what I would have known now, I probably wouldn't have had the balls to do it. Right. Just being honest. Um, but um, I think that, uh, you know, to answer your question, um, I would have given myself, I should have given myself much more runway. You know, I saw an interview once with Jeff Bezos and they were talking and he was, person was asking him like you know obviously a bunch of different stuff but one the one of the takeaways i got from it was he said you know when, when we launch a new idea a new concept a new product within amazon he goes we give it like a five to eight year runway and he goes i think a lot of people in business don't think that way and they think that you know they'll get it done in like a year or two or maybe three and i remember when i heard him say that i was like you know here's one of the richest guys in the world biggest companies and they have more power behind them to do anything, right? If <laughs> they have an idea about something or a product and they still give themselves five to eight years to get, to get it off the ground, right? And when I heard that, 
um, it kind of made me feel foolish in one because it's like, God, why did I why did I think, you know, I could do this so fast? Um, just being not, I was naive. Um, but then also it made me not feel so bad because I think that when you when you start something, if you don't start to see results in your head of whatever timeline you think you should be seeing results, um, you start to like get frustrated. Right. And kind of you can get down on yourself for like, why hasn't this thing happened yet? And people don't, you know, and the more I've talked to people, I just talked to a buddy uh, about, about a month ago who um, used to live in Seattle. He lives, him and his wife live in Vegas now, but here, him and I were just getting caught up and he's written a couple of business books. He's always been a very entrepreneur guy. And he had just sold one of his companies for like 50 million, right? And I was like, really? And, and, we, and we were talking and talking and I hadn't like shared any of this other stuff with him. And he's like, yeah, you know, it was, it was kind of a real pain in the ass, but you know, it took, but after about seven years, we kind of, six, seven years, we kind of figured it out and, and then sold it. And I was like, here he's talking, he's like falling right into line and on that timeline. So I think when you, you hear people, you know, do really successful things, you don't typically know like the backstory, like how long okay. it took for them to do there or how much failure there was or, um, so when I heard that, it made me kind of feel not as bad that like Nava is not necessarily where I wanted to be today. Like I thought I'd be way yeah. ahead than where I'm at. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, one of the, the tips I would share is, is giving yourself, um, enough runway for, for sure. Um, and then I think the other thing that kind of naturally comes to mind about that, and I know that you and I had talked about this a little bit before we, um, started the recording, but we were both talking about, um, McConaughey's book, right? We both read it. And I remember there was a story in there that he was sharing about um, how when he came to LA, the guy that he was staying with, I think Matthew had made a comment about like, he really needs this. He needed this part or he needed an agent or something like that. And the guy told him to beat it, said, go take, go travel Europe for a month and come back. And you know, when you're done, because the whole point was getting yourself into a place of like, not, not, um, thinking like, uh, you know, scarcity. And I think that if you give yourself enough of a runway, then you kind of approach things like it's okay if it doesn't happen tomorrow. And you're not yeah. coming with this, like this fear and this anxiety around, I need this thing to happen versus like just letting it, you know, letting it flow. And I think like most people, um, I know I can speak to myself on this. I become my biggest blockage. I really am my biggest blockage. I get in my own way more than anybody else does. And um, I think learning how to deal with um, my own, you know, my own self and my own ego and my own expectations and how I handle things has been, you know, a real learning lesson. And um, yeah. this has forced me to, you know, it's, it, it's, you know, starting your own thing or going down a different path humbles you, you know, if, as it should. Right. So. Yeah. Well, no, I, I think that's interesting. I haven't heard this advice. So what you're really doing is you're answering the question, but you're giving advice. And so the thing you didn't see coming was how long this thing would take to get off the ground. Right. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. I had no, no idea. And no, nobody really does know, but yeah, I think that if I would have um, just come at it from a, 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 you know, which is hard because I'm wired to try to work fast and, and I want things to happen quickly. But um, if I just would have approached it differently, like, you know, if I would have known now, like, hey, things, these things take time and it's going to be a, it's not it's not a race. It's going to be a freaking journey yeah. for sure. And you don't have a roadmap. You don't have yeah. anybody there to really tell you how to do it because you're doing something that nobody else has done. It was very, um, you know, very frustrating for sure. And, and yeah. Yeah. And I would imagine if you were doing something like selling paper clips or Slurpees or maybe back in subprime the ride wouldn't be so fun. Like you're, that's the other thing, pay attention. Like this is difficult for Michael. He's struggled. I mean, he's successful, but it's taking a longer time, but he also loves what he's doing. So, you know, that's crucial. Cause I don't know how many people could can maintain in something they, they don't like doing. And so I think if you're listening to him and you're thinking about wanting to do something, whether it's cannabis or whatever is give yourself some time to, you know, nothing happens easy. What about, something that you love, like you probably had a feeling of what you like about the business. Is there anything that surprised you that you're like, Whoa, I, I had no idea this was part of it. Um, you mean like the, the cannabis industry specifically? Yeah, just, like just not someone. Yeah. I mean, like 
something that caught you off guard. And the reason I get into these questions is everybody thinks they, you know, read a job description. They think they know what the job's about. Like, you know, like, you know, whether you want to be a pilot and, and you don't realize you're missing birthdays or your kids or holidays or yeah. Chris, you know, th- those are the things people don't think about in my business as a lender. Like I didn't think about when I got into this, that there's no annuity income. I'm selling a commoditized product. I start over every month. Yeah. Uh, the loyalty is not there. People will leave you for 500 bucks. I didn't think about these things. And so I want people to think about those things, regardless of what industry, but you know, good and bad. So is there anything yeah. that kind of like, um, anything that has come out of this experience that you didn't expect that just puts a smile on your face? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, back when I was at uh, Soulshine and I was in the, you know, selling a product into the recreational market, right? My focus now is not that, right? But um, right. when I was doing that, I think what I didn't realize was how unprofessional the industry still was was back then. And it still really is today. I mean, it until it becomes federally legal and you're allowed to get, you know, bigger companies involved, people that really like, have uh, you know um the smarts of like running companies and running businesses and running advertising when 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 it becomes federally legal the whole industry will change and i think you know for the better um there's some people who don't really want that to happen because they just like the way it is right now and they're probably afraid of of things kind of being you know um uh everybody being bought out or big entities coming in but from a level of like just professionalism um like knowing how to speak to people. And like I said, knowing how to like follow up, you know, if you say you're going to do something, you do it and, you know, pick up the phone and know how to leave a voicemail. And I mean, just return a call and be, be on time to an appointment, make the appointment, just little things like that. I was blown away, you know, coming from an industry where, you know, if you didn't do that, you, you were not successful. You lost, right. You, you don't know how to return a phone call or pick up your phone and answer it. You, the yeah. deal's going somewhere else, right. Good luck. So, Good luck. Um, you know, I was just so shocked at like what most people lack of knowledge in running a business or knowing how to be professional. Uh, that was kind of mind blowing, um, and, and pretty frustrating, you know, um, at, at sometimes. So I, I would caution people and, and the, the industry is still like that and it's so much better now and so much more professional than it was back when I got in, you know, in uh, 2015, but, um, it, it's still, you're still going to run into those issues because it's still yeah. kind of a, a cowboy industry, so to speak. I see that though. I mean, just thinking that's exciting too, though. There's a lot of opportunity to improve an industry, like bringing in your background, your skills and just making it better. And I'm sure you have made it better. Are you, um, I actually, before I go there, just briefly, can you talk to me a little bit about like what your week looks like? So if somebody's wondering like, okay, what does Michael do? I mean, Michael's not growing the stuff, right? He, I mean, is your job, I mean, what is it? What do you do? Like if you have a piece of pie is 80% of it out and about trying to get your, your product in retail, like how do you spend your hours? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an always, I'm an early riser. So I get my day started pretty early. And I enjoy having that downtime in the morning um, before the day gets going. Cause once it gets going, it's just, it's going, okay. um, you know, and for, so, and for several years, I mean, I was just, that's all I was doing was, you know, trying to figure out how to create this product, how to get the machinery to do it, how to like, I was kind of a one man show. Um, you know, I was able to raise uh, uh, a little bit of money and had a, a manufacturing partner that I, um, that kind of got involved, but you know, the speed at which things were, um, happening just it just wasn't happening like you know here's the thing is what I going back and looking at I was doing a lot of things and failing at a lot of things and learning you know okay don't do that anymore right but I remember like at some point I was thinking um, just what just give me a break show me a, some sort of a light at the end of the tunnel so I at least kind of know where I'm going in the right direction but most of my days are yeah it's it's I'm, I'm, I'm up really early and um, you know I work you know I work a lot until until the afternoon um and then i've got my two-year-old or my two and a half year old who i i, I pick up and and so my day starts at 5 a.m and yeah. and it ends at 8 p.m 
So, so I don't mean to interrupt you, but what are you doing there? You saying you're working a lot. Does that mean you're doing zoom calls? Does that mean you're what, what exactly makes up the day? Like, you know, like some, like for me in mortgages, I'm out and about talking to people who are in front of people who need money. Uh, yeah. and I mean, you know, I'm, I'm constantly networking. What are you doing? Like in this business, are you researching, are you on your computer in your office or yeah. how, I mean, yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, I'm really, um, researching and trying to right now, what we're working on is, um, developing a, um, this, uh, or I mean, I've, I've had it for a while, but now it's coming together where I, I went and talked about the, this do it yourself kit that allows people to kind of make these pouches and fill them themselves because I found that it's, um, uh, I can sell this thing, you know, anywhere in the world because there's no yeah. actual product in it. So I had to, I had to like in these past several months, I've had to spend a lot of time. This, I can tell you what I'm doing right now is I had yeah. to spend a lot of time re-engineering this, this machine I had, um, to do, create these pouches empty in a different way. Um, than what I was expecting to use this machine for that I've invested a lot of time and money in this machine. And then, um, right now this little tool that we use to fill the pouches, um, I'd had some samples of these, of this tool from Europe, but they, they completely discontinued it. So I've had to find somebody, a manufacturing partner to recreate this thing and redesign it with, from scratch with my, how I want it designed. So it's mine. I own the IP on it. Um, and then, um, package this thing up and then figure out how we're going to go and work, sell this thing, um, wholesale to manufacture to people that are already selling these devices, whether it's okay. a manufacturer or whether people are selling them online, we're going to partner with this kit because this kit can be sold as a, as kind of an accessory to something that they're already selling. So that's kind of what we're focused on right now. So awesome. I spend quite, quite a bit of time trying to figure out like how all that's going to navigate. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, of, I know you do a lot, so I don't mean to get, uh, put you in the corner. Uh, but I mean, yeah. I, th I think if you're listening to Michael right now, I mean, when you run the show and you, it's your business, it's not always, you know, it, you get your hands dirty. You're down there. I mean, listen to him. He's talking about, you know, uh, trying to get a machine to do exactly what he needs to do. I mean, there's a lot that you do. And then you're probably also using your skills and, and your networking and you're talking to the right people. Uh, if someone wants to uh, experiment or get hold of your product, can they go to, uh, where can they get it? I mean, I know we have the state issue, the compliance, but if, you know, somebody's in Washington and they're listening right now, or they're curious, is there a way they can get your product? Yeah. Eventually it'll be available on, um, discovernava.com. Okay. So yeah, they, if they go there, so what you'll see there right now on the site was kind of samples of like the pre-filled pouches that we took to market. Um, I was saying a couple months ago. Okay. And one of the things that we, that we learned with testing that was, is that scalable? Like, can you scale getting this pouch working? Cause I was working with multiple, uh, you know, four or five different grow companies and they were sending their product to a facility where we were packaging it and pouching it and then sending it back. And then they were getting it in the stores, right? Cause in, in, in Washington, you can't be involved. I'm no longer a licensed company, so I can't be involved in any sort of cannabis sales. So I'm just was going to make um, money on the on the manufacturing side of, of the pouch. Once it gets sold into the store, I don't have anything to do with that, right? So we were testing, how does this work? You imagine like a, a bunch of coffee companies sending all their product to like a roast air where the roasting is all happening in one facility and it's getting packaged and sent back. That's kind of the same philosophy we were taking. And I, and I kind of tested it and it was kind of a nightmare. Um, it was, it was a headache it was like hurting cats. <laughs> it was like, it was like, so I'm like, I don't know if this can scale this way. I, I know there's a way to do it, but I'm not quite sure if this is the right way. Yeah. So I, I kind of went back to, um, you know, doing this, like do it yourself kit. And that's, and that's something I've kind of battled with for, from the very beginning. It's like, do I launch with this do it yourself kit or do I launch with something that already is pre-filled, you know? Um, and I think right now our, it's been pretty clear that we need to um, really build the market and the knowledge around the uh, letting people make their own yeah. because once they get that, then eventually the idea of going into a store and getting it already pre-made will be appealing to them. Just like a, going into Costco and getting a K cup is, you know, nothing is easy. I mean, I, you know, you, you listen, I watch a lot of podcasts and 
just documentaries and you learn about people that were like in the beginning of an industry, like whatever it is, skis, you know, snowboards, whatever, like, and there's so much that they had to deal with. And then, you know, like you said, if you give yourself that time frame just to kind of play it out, um, amazing things can happen. And I'm pretty damn sure amazing things are going to happen with you. So before we wind this down, yeah. there's a couple questions I have that I like to ask my guests. One yeah. is, one is, um, and a lot of times people give me a coin response, but I'm going to see if you can be creative and give okay. me something different. So if you were to rewind this, you went to L-Dub, right? Like Washington? I did. Yeah. Like yeah, which, which is you and I lived in the same neighborhood and then University of Washington. Yep. Okay. And then when did you get out of UW, by the way? Uh, 1994. Okay. I was 92. So if you could rewind the clock, knowing what you know now, my guess is you probably wouldn't get in and not to say the mortgage business didn't treat you right. And, but like, if you could do it over again, would you do it differently? Or, and if so, what exactly do you think you do? Yeah, I, I, I definitely. Um, and I think, you know, you and I have had this conversation before too, but I would have loved to have gotten into something like insurance. You know, I think mm -hmm. that would have played right into my personality and, and being social and, and building clientele and, and, um, well, if tell I the people it, why. I mean, why? yeah, well, I don't like, think you, you, yeah. well, you touched on it, too. Like, you know, with 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 the lending industry, you um, you know, you get paid once. Right. You close a deal, you get paid and, and you're only as good as your last month. Like you said, you start over every year. We're hopefully something, hopefully you get paid unless you got to give right. them a big credit to have That's them smile. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, versus something like uh, like a financial planner or an insurance person where you know, you build up that, that clientele, that, that database of people, and it's just residual income coming in, you know, every single month, every year, um, and it just grows and grows and grows. Right. So I think that, um, if I could go back, I still would like, I still would have not changed anything for the nightclub industry. Uh, that whole run I had in my twenties, because that was a very unique, um, opportunity and something I really enjoyed doing. Uh, yeah. So I wouldn't change that, but I would have changed instead of getting in a mortgage, I would have definitely thought about something where I could, I could build something over time and it just pays me, you know, every, every month, every year and has nothing to do with, you know, it doesn't start over every month. Like, you know, the lending industry did for you and I. Yeah. I mean, just, I won't get into it, but those are the things that I want people to pay attention to is not just exactly what Michael's doing on a day to day, but the things that come with the career you know, the freedom, uh, do you have to bend the knee and play politics? Uh, you know, do you have a new boss that comes in and then you don't get along and you're out? Like, there's a lot of stuff people don't associate with careers that I want people to start thinking about it, but the annuity and the compensation uh, is huge. Yeah. Uh, the, the other question is, you know, you and I are very close to the same age. If you had to, let's just say the cannabis business, God came down and said, you're done. You can't do it anymore. Yeah. Uh, what's a dream job? I mean, the reason I ask this is because it always gives me a little bit of color into my guest, like things I might not know. Like for me, uh, just to give you kind of a 180, I would love to write music for movies, um, scores. Um, I had a composer on a couple of weeks ago, who very famous composer. Um, and I just, it was fascinating for me. And I, I don't have the skill set, unfortunately, but I'm really good at picking out music. I mean, I could sit by the fire and I just, music is like, it's amazing for, it's a, it's a language of love that I just, I just, I, I wish I had something to do with it. So for me, that's a, that's a dream job. If I could just sit in a room and I'm a social guy, I like you, I know a lot of people, yeah. uh, I like to hang out, but I really like, I'm, I'm an introvert. I like to be by myself. I, I get a lot of energy. For you, is there a total 180 departure Candyland type career job if you could do anything? Yeah, well, it's interesting that you said um, you touched on music as well. Like for me, I um, yeah, one would be um, the person that is responsible for finding that perfect song in 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 a movie or a show where you know um, I've always. I mean, I love music and, and, but being able to connect the dots with a certain song in, in a particular scene of a movie, I don't know what that person is called <laughs> that does it, but I know there's people that do it. Um, I really love that. And, and then in, in kind of in the same aspect of that would be like true, um, 
running ad campaigns for, for like big, big companies, like coming up with like the commercial ideas, like, you know, whoever it is comes and says, Hey, we, we need you to do a commercial, you know, throw us ideas kind of thing. Going back to the whole Mad Men era of coming up with advertising like that. I, I think for me, um, I, I would, I would love to do that. Cause it's still, it still plays into like what I love, which is the, the collaboration, working with super talented. I love collaborating with people. I love working with talented people that all have their unique skill sets and then, you know, seeing an opportunity and then knowing how to bring those people together and merge all that to create something like that's, that's what I would absolutely love to do. And I still look to try to do as much that in what I do now, but um, if it wasn't cannabis, it, it would be something that falls into to doing, being able to wake up every day and do that. Yeah. I love it. You should watch the podcast. Um, the guy, the guy's name is Hummy man, but he talked about exactly that. He sits with the director when the movie is pretty much shot and then they just play it and they talk about what kind of music, what genre, what instrument, what mood are you trying to elicit at that moment? Um, so there is, there is a, uh, a job for that. Um, yeah, but, okay. <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean, I was fascinated because I didn't know when you, you know, when do you come up with the music before then they build the movie around it. Right. I don't know. It's fascinating. Um, so is there anything I haven't asked you that you, I mean, imagine, I mean, 25, 22 years from now, your daughter's 26 and she's like, dad, I'm thinking I want to get into this industry. Like, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you think would be crucial for someone to really help them make a good decision about, is this the right way to go? Um, or something on the tip of your tongue that you want to leave the audience with? Well, how about, how about a quote? Because yeah. I, I saw on your, on your um, podcast sheet that you, you mentioned like what once one of your favorite quotes was. And um, you know, somebody that I um, read a lot of his books, uh, Richard Branson, um, and, and if you've ever like seen that guy or watched him in an interview or whatever, he's always smiling and he's always like, you could literally tell the guy freaking loves what he does. Right. Um, and that's been such a big part of his success is it's not fun. He's not doing it right out of the gate. Um, but it was a quote actually that from Joe Rogan, uh, who I, you know, listen to and have a lot of respect, uh, uh, from as well. I just like his approach on a lot of different things, but. I love him. Um, and, and the quote that um, and I'll read it to you, the quote that Joe uh, had shared to me immediately just reminded me of something like right out of Richard Branson's mouth. Right. But it basically says, you know, do something that you enjoy. I'd write it down because I couldn't memorize it. But it says, do something you enjoy, something that also brings reward and value to others, makes people's lives better. Everything else will take care of itself. So what piece of advice I would you know leave your listeners with would be cannabis industry or any industry, if you can just remember that, that the pathway I think will present itself. And, and it has, it has to me, and it only seems to come when I either consciously surrender or I subconsciously surrender because I'm just being forced into, like, I have no other way to go. So I'm kind of having to surrender, right? Um, that's when those opportunities come and they usually come in a way and a shape and a form and the timing like you could never imagine it all being packaged and just like handed to you on a silver platter. But when you know it, you, you definitely know it. Right. Um, so I think that quote is, is probably the best foundation for, for anything that anybody wants to go do. And if they focus on that, they'll, they'll, they'll see how the dots connect for them. Yeah. I love that. Um, and I do want to go a little deeper on that for a second because do something that you enjoy. Like this is the battle, Michael, that I have, like, you know, I've had not arguments, but I've had discussions with people that are like on the podcast, like, Hey, you got to live life to know what you like to do. And I get that. It's like dating. You got to date a little bit to know. I mean, if you date the wrong way, you're going to end up with the wrong person. And so I understand life gives you experiences that kind of create what, you know, for me, like freedom, I had no idea freedom was so important to me at 24, but knowing what you love to do, like when you're coming out of college and you hear that and you're like, well, I love to party. Or I love to hang out. Like, but like going a little deeper on that, can you give any advice to somebody like, um, and, and, and like, sometimes it's just like a Saturday, like you go and what do you do for six hours? It feels like 30 minutes or when you do something and you, what, what makes you a better version of yourself? Like when people are like, 
wanting to be around your energy. Like those are the things, the clues that I want younger people to pay attention to, but sometimes it's hard because that's not a language they speak or those aren't voices in their head. They're thinking about paying off debt. They're thinking about, you know, society and what looks good, social media. I want to make money. I want to move to New York. I want to, you know, be a, like, sometimes you just got to slow it down. Do you have any advice for somebody that's got all these voices in their head? Because I think the clues are there. They're, 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 they're there if you look for them, but sometimes I think people don't know how to look for them. Yeah, I think, um, I think I would say that it's, you kind of touched on a little bit where it's, um, you've got to, um, look for the things that you know, that are just kind of innately to you. Like you Mm -hmm. just have a natural, it, there's nothing forced about it. It just, it just kind of flows. Mm -hmm. Um, and then kind of being able to identify like what that is, like, I'm, I'm good at that. Like I'm good at it because it's, it's, it's just natural. It comes to me and I kind of do it better than most people I know do it. And that's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. And, right there. And, and that's not a, a standpoint of, of, um, of a place of, you know, ego or anything like that. It's just, just kind of knowing like, I'm kind of just kind of good at this or this, this kind of just doesn't feel like work to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's tough. Like, look, I think, I mean, I don't hang out with a bunch of, you know, college kids these days, but I've got, you know, friends that have them as kids and every, like, well, everybody wants to be, what do you do for a living? Oh, I do social media. Like, well, I, you told me to go do something that I love doing. I love being on social media. So I'm gonna try to figure out a way to make money on it. Like, okay, well, Hey, I guess if you can do that, you know, all the more power to you. I don't know. Um, if that's, if every, I mean, obviously everybody can't do that, but, um, there's probably some that do it better than others. And I'm, I know there's some young kids that make a great living at doing what they love on social yeah. media. But I, I think it just goes back to like kind of what you and I had touched on is if it's not that, what else, what else is it that, um, that, that you kind of do that's innate that you've kind of think like, ah, you know, this is, you know, for me back when I was doing the nightclub industry, nobody else was really doing what I was doing and I didn't plan it. I didn't study for it. Like, like I said, in college, I didn't even know what I wanted to do when I got out. I knew a bunch of stuff I didn't want to do. Um, and I just found that like, it was something that came very natural to me, you know, and, and having to collaborate with a lot of people and work with different types of personalities and, and do all the stuff that I used to do to pull off these events. Right. It, it yeah. wasn't, wasn't all fun and games and partying. So it, it yeah, it, it, but it was something that I discovered. And then I just realized I figured out how to take the, that same thing and just move it into, into something else. Yeah. Um, so I think that's important to, you know, self-awareness and, and really trying to take a step back and realize those things, have those conversations with yourself the earlier on the, the, the better for sure. Yeah. I love it. I mean, it's, you're right. It's not ego, but like, what do you do better than anybody or why do people come to you? What kind of advice do they seek from Michael or Dirk? Uh, you know, like, where is it the natural, you know, what do you just do f- you know, what have you been doing since you've been young? You know, like, I don't know. I just think those are really good things to think about. Um, I appreciate it, man. I know you're a busy, busy guy yeah. and this is your weekend. Uh, this it's is great. Fun. Yeah. I, I think you're going to be very helpful to anyone interested in this business. And uh, I really love what you said about giving yourself time. Um, that's something that none of my guests have really talked about. And um, that's great advice. So thank you so much, Michael. You're a great yeah. dude. And I know Nava Pouch is going to kick ass and you're going to look back and all these red lights, uh, you know, all these things that might have made it a little more difficult are going to actually make it that much better when it becomes successful. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. I really appreciate it. All right, man. Glad you you. have me on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, buddy.